Our scripture reading today is from 1 Kings 19, 1 through 8. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Christy, for reading that passage for us this morning. Um, we're going to get to that text in just a little bit, uh, but what I wanted to do with the opening part of this sermon portion is, is talk about, um, give you a financial overview heading in. Hopefully you got a yellow sheet of paper on your way in that's folded in half. Um, it's, it's going to have everything I'm about to say right there uh, for you. So I told you during, before the call to worship that we were going to cover a lot of ground this morning. I, I feel a little bit like um, standing here now after what, we just, what I just spoke about, uh, I should just kind of borrow a line from Monty Python and say, and now for something completely different. Um, let's talk about this. Uh, so I'm excited about this. I want to give you this picture, and I, and I really wanted to put it all in writing and get these numbers here um, for the sake of transparency and clarity, because uh, it's really uh, what we have done in the last four years is not a super common method of putting a church in a place, uh, being a multi-site congregation. And so I wanted to give you a sense of how that has worked and, and where that's taking us. So we'll just get into it right now. Um, by talking about the launching of Christ Press Cool Springs 2018 to 2021. Um, one of the questions we get sometimes is how do finances work for Cool Springs and a multi-site model? And so I'm going to give you an overview of Christ Press Cool Springs financial history that I think will be helpful for understanding where we are now and also where we hope to go. By God's kindness and provision, our congregation exists and is in this facility in large part because Christ Presbyterian Church has been around, as an organization, has been around for 40 years and has solid resources in reserve. Christ Pres Cool Springs is not yet four years old, but we have relied on the resources of Christ Presbyterian Church as a whole to cover expenses that have been beyond what our congregation's regular tithes and offerings can meet. And so in our first years, the finance team, what they did is they projected sort of benchmark goals for our location, and they do this for every location. So for all, all 
uh, three of the other locations besides Old Hickory that we, this is kind of how we've done it. And so I want to walk you through the first three years just so you can get a sense of, of where we've been and where we're going. So fiscal year number one, um, oh, incidentally, I should say, one of the benefits of this model is Christ Pres Cool Springs has never had to go into debt, and I, as the pastor here, have never had to do any fundraising, uh, which, is, which is, is an advantage to us as a church to move quickly. Uh, fiscal year number one, 2018 to 2019, we set a giving goal of $240,000. The actual giving that year was $291,000 and $822,000. Uh, and the actual expenses for Christ Pres Cool Springs was undefined. And the reason it was undefined is because we were early in the process of being multi-site. Music Row had been around, uh, but with the addition of the third, we were kind of figuring out, okay, what does it actually cost for a location to exist? Because you can take like the salaries and the program expenses and those sorts of things and add that up. But there's also a lot of intangibles that, were, that are shared among all the locations. And so that actual expense number was undefined. For year two and year three, they're both undefined there as well. But for year two, 2019 to 2020, we set a giving goal of $385,000. Uh, and then our actual giving that year was 460,843. So another great year. Fiscal year three, we raised our giving goal to 475. So we went from 385 to 475. Our actual giving that year was 522, 425. So pretty good first three years, uh, if you ask me. Uh, by the way, our fiscal year is July through June, if that's not, if, that, if I haven't made that clear. Um, so looking at those three years, the year over year giving growth for these first three years is really encouraging. Our second year giving increased by $169,000. Our third year, which was during a global pandemic, when we were online for a significant part of that year, we were meeting in person, spreading out the chairs, doing two services, making people register to come. All that, you guys remember that if you were part of that. Those were, t those were tough days. Um, that year, our giving increased by $61,000. And so we've made great progress in our first three years, better than projected and anticipated. Our fourth year, which is the year we're in now, saw even more growth, and with it, I'm really excited about this, with it, clarity for where we actually stand with regard to giving versus actual expenses. So the giving goal that you see on your bullet, and on the back of your bullet, and there's a number down there, there's a giving goal and, and, the, and the actual giving, that number does not reflect the actual cost of Christ Pres Cool Springs. That number reflects the projected benchmark for where we're wanting to be this year. And so when you see that number, you're seeing what a projected benchmark is for this year, but not what it would take to cover all of our expenses. That'll become clear, more clear in just a second. But uh, in the, about a year and three months ago or so, uh, Doug Korn came on as our new executive director, and one of Doug's initiatives right away was to identify exactly what it costs for each congregation to operate. This is good information, right? So it's not vague. We know Christ Pres costs this much in a year. So what are Cool Springs' direct expenses in terms of staff and programming and administration and facility? And also, what is our portion 
of the various ministries and administration that is shared across all four locations, everything from HR to IT to finance, discipleship resources, missional support, et cetera, et cetera. So our current fiscal year, we have defined that. And as this fiscal year now comes to a close, I'm happy to report that we are hitting our target again. Um, We still have a long way to go to break even on our actual costs, but we are hitting the target. And so here's our current fiscal year with actual costs now in place. So you see there year four. Um, Year four, the giving goal for this year has been $600,000. Our actual giving is an estimated, because we still have this Sunday and then another five or six days before the end of this fiscal year, our actual giving is estimated at around $820,000. Yay! That's good. That's really, really good. Our actual expenses now are $1,179,978. So you can see there, between actual giving and actual expenses, there's still a gap. Now, I want to say, I want to say something about this $820,000 actual giving number because it's important to understand it comes from two places. Uh, 610,000 is estimated tithes and offerings. Uh, so the regular tithes and offerings that people give, we're estimating that's going to be around 610. I think right now, we're with one week to go, we're at about 598. So, so I think we're we're, we're doing good. Um, but then there was an additional. that came in as gifts designated to building out this facility. And so those two things coming together are what make the $820,000 actual giving. So a few notes on this fiscal year then. People both inside and outside of Christ Pres Cool Springs came together to contribute that $210,000 for the build out of our new facility. And it was an amazing show of generosity that really helped to defray the one-time build-out costs that put us here. So that's amazing. With that, it's hard to know how much of that $210,000 that was designated to the facility build-out was truly over and above or in addition to regular tithes and offerings, and how much of that would have just shown up in regular tithes and offerings had that special fund not been an option for people. That's just a number that's, it's hard to know, right? It's hard to know if people just redirected tithes and offerings to that or what. Uh, And so it makes it hard then to predict how much of that designated giving, that 210, will carry over into the next year in the form of regular tithes and offerings. And so for that reason, the conservative way to think about this Uh, would be to think of this year's regular tithes and offerings as $610,000. To just take that 210 and put it in a a separate bucket and say, okay, this year's regular tithes and offerings was $610,000 and regard the additional 210 designated to the build-out as special one-time gifts. Even when we do that, we still hit our projected goal for this year. So that's fantastic. It's amazing. It's amazing. So that brings me to the next fiscal year, which starts on July 1st. Year 5, 2022 to 2023, we've set a giving goal of $700,000. So this year was six hundred. Next year, we're setting a goal of $700,000. Our projected expenses 
are projected at $1,119,508. So when we look at that, there's still about a $400,000 gap between what we're anticipating coming in and our actual expenses. A few observations about this. First, this, year's, this coming year's giving goal, so fiscal year five, uh, it anticipates, you may look at that $100,000 increase and think, whoa, uh, but that really is, is a conservative estimate based on what's happened in the past. Um, our year-over-year giving growth to date, which would be actual giving versus the previous year's projected giving, not counting the $210,000, averages out to more than $150,000 of increase over the previous year's projected goal. Are you with me still on this? I put it in writing because I got to tell you, I am out of my depth personally on this stuff. It's why I write it down and ask a zillion questions before this. What I'm saying is we usually see on average more than $150,000 in increase and we're projecting $100,000 increase here. Um, Also, our overall projected expenses are lower this year. Uh, We aren't going to carry the sizable build-out cost that we had this past year. And, and we even raised our program, overall program and staff expenses. We in, increased those in order to accommodate what it takes to be here in a facility and what we want to do now that we're not just in a hotel for five hours a week. And uh, so in all of that, we're still with a lower expense rate than we had the previous year. Um, and we do have several new expenses um, that are, are just kind of boring ones, like uh, utilities, copier, internet, security, custodial services those sorts of things. So that's a picture of the fiscal years, the first five fiscal years of Christ Pres Cool Springs, uh, which brings me to the last, kind of where I want to land the plane on this part. And that is how your giving moves Cool Springs forward. Uh, It is remarkable how we've grown in our first four years. We've always hit and surpassed our mark, even during the pandemic. And what that's done, and don't let this be lost on us, is it's made it possible for us to stick around in a location that is notoriously difficult for churches to plant in because of the cost of being in Cool Springs. Does Christ Pres Cool Springs need your giving? We are a, we're part of a church that's been around for 40 years that has lots of resources in reserve. So does Cool Springs need your giving? The answer is yes. Because one of our financial goals is to become financially self-sustaining, to cover our own expenses. Another one of our goals is to continue to deepen our ministry impact in our area. And so your designated giving to Cool Springs has a direct impact on our ability to continue to develop programs and to continue to add staff and cover facility needs and support local ministries. At our current rate of giving growth, we are on track to close the gap between income and actual expenses in about th- three years or so. That's, and that's if we stay with our expenses pretty much where we are now. But if our giving went up by just 15%, which could happen with five to ten additional faithful givers. We could see that gap close in two years. 
If it went up 30%, we could get there in a year or so. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because if we want to increase our staff, if we want to one day hire another pastor, so you're not just hearing from me all the time, if we want to invest in more programs, if we want to begin planning for facility needs when our lease here is up in five years, we need to be able to cover our current expenses with our actual giving. So that's, that's the goal we have our sights set on. The good news is that all trends indicate that we are making excellent progress every year. Do we have needs and opportunities that we want to get in front of? Yes. Do we have areas of ministry that we would love to grow? You know that we do. Do we have an amazing staff team and a congregation full of willing volunteers that makes it so that we can thrive at our current rate? We have that too. And so we're just, we're very blessed as a congregation. And the state of our church from a financial position is is really strong. So as we move toward solvency, as we move toward being even, let's dream together about what we could be part of here together in Cool Springs. So that's my presentation. I'm going to send this out in an email so that everybody gets it, uh, so that you can have these numbers digitally and be able to think through and pray about this. But, uh, you know, thank you for for not being mad at me. That's the nine in me coming through. Uh, Talking about money is something that is an important thing for a pastor to do. And the reason it's an important thing for a pastor to do is because money flows through all of our lives. And it's a big deal. And Jesus talked about it a lot. Um, But I understand also that if we talk about it too much, we can fall into the trope of, well, all the church really wants is just people to give and your money and your money and your money. And that's just, we've been so blessed with the generosity of this congregation. I'm thankful for it. So, can I say some things about Elijah now? Um, This will be brief. Think of this as a homily. Um, So, in the passage that Christy read, we've been following the story of Elijah, and I want to bring you up to speed on what's happened. He, Elijah the prophet, the Lord called him because Israel had abandoned faithfulness to the Lord, and they had started worshiping other gods under King Ahab, who was bringing Baal worship. Uh, was, Baal worship was a part of what the people of Israel were doing. And Elijah said, listen, until you repent and start following the Lord, there's going to be a famine and a drought on this land. And the prophets of Baal wanted to contend with Elijah, and they got together, and they had this, uh, this showdown where the prophets of Baal called down their God, and he didn't show up. And Elijah said, I'll make an altar, and let's just fill it with water and just saturate the thing, and I'll call down the Lord to show up. And he did, and he burned the whole thing up, and then all the prophets of Baal were put to death. And it was, a, uh, it, it was a moment in the history of the people of Israel to consider who is it that they're going to believe. Elijah said, you have to stop having your feet in two camps. Serve the Lord and worship him only. And then last week we talked about how after this happened, there was a moment of respite where Elijah prayed for rain and the Lord sent rain and relief came. And Elijah told Ahab, Go back home. There's, there's opportunity now for us to just to rest for a minute. And then Ahab went home and he told his wife, Queen Jezebel, what had happened to the prophets of Baal. And that's where our story picks up because she said, okay, Elijah needs to go. 
He's going to die. He needs to be put to death. And so Elijah hears this and he flees. He, he, he gets out of there as soon as he can to retreat to the wilderness. And when he does, we see him filled with despair. One of the things I love about Elijah is the way that his emotions are on his sleeve, that we see him uh, in these moments of just incredible confidence, but then we also see him here very fragile and despairing. And that's what he's doing. He's despairing here. And so he goes up onto this mountain and he asks God to take his life. And he lays down to go to sleep. And what the Lord does is he sends his angel and his angel prepares food for Elijah. And this food miraculously sustains him for 40 days and 40 nights while he flees to the mountain of the Lord. And in that encounter, when Elijah is just at this low point, the angel says something to him that I think we can all relate to from time to time. And that is he says, Elijah, eat, because the journey is just too much for you. The journey is too great for you. And that's what I want to focus on briefly this morning, is that feeling of despair. When life feels like it's just too much, we become prone to despair. It becomes the cry of the soul. And I want to ask you that question, are you anxious right now? Are you despairing? And I want to talk about that. I preface what I say by saying I am a person who has, on a number of occasions in my life, been on anti-depression and anti-anxiety medicine. I anticipate that the odds are decent, that at some point in my life moving forward, I will be on them again. So I'm saying all of this to say, I'm going to talk about anxiety. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Okay? Despair... That feeling of despair fails us when we trust in it. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told the crowd, do not be anxious about your life. On what basis should we not be anxious? How do we know that we can trust God to care for us? Jesus says, actually he commands us to trust God on this basis, on the basis that God cares about the birds and he cares about the flowers and that we are much more precious to him than they. This can be hard, especially when we see Jesus isn't talking about God providing luxury here. He's talking about food and shelter and clothing. He's talking about basic essentials. These, Jesus says, are what you're to trust God for. Not for an Escalade, not for a mansion, but for what you need to live. And he says, if we can trust God for these things, then we can trust him for everything else that we need too, even when we can't see how that's going to play out. One alternative to trusting God, to trusting that God will care for us, is to turn instead to anxiety and despair. And I'm talking about a particular kind of anxiety and despair. And it's the kind that says there's no one at the controls. 
that feeling. This despair will fail you, and it will fail you for three reasons. This feeling of hopelessness as though no one is at the controls. And the three reasons are what I'm going to go through quickly. First, despair is foolish, and I mean this in the biblical sense of the word. I don't mean it as an insult, but in the sense that it's, it's biblical folly. Uh, in other words, uh, another way might be to say it's simple-minded. Because behind our tendency to worry or despair lies a belief. And that belief is that we should be able to control what happens in life. And that's the foolishness right there. Because Jesus asks the question, what can you add to your life by worrying? It's a brilliant question, not that Jesus needs me to affirm his question, but it's a brilliant question in how what it does is it exposes worries, inability to change anything, while also showing that we have this foolish tendency to think that feeling a feeling will bring about an external change to something. And Jesus says, that's simple-minded. You can't add a minute to your life by worrying, and you can't worry provision into existence. One commentator said this about despair. He said, despair really accomplishes nothing except to just put God out of the picture. And that leads us to the next reason why worry fails us. It's because despair, I'm using the words despair and worry interchangeably here, but despair is idolatrous. Now, it's an old word again, um, but hear me out on this. Despair or worry indicates an allegiance to a higher power. It indicates an allegiance to a false god by revealing a heart-level commitment to a personal worldly security. That I have a heart-level commitment to personal worldly security that runs so deep that it rules your emotional life, and it rules your spiritual life, to the extent that you judge God, which you wouldn't do unless you presumed some measure of superiority over him. And that's idolatry. Scripture doesn't promise us an easy life. In fact, um, you know, be careful how closely you dig into this, because many verses will indicate the opposite. Many of the things Jesus said indicate the opposite. If you follow me, people will hate you because of that. Or, in this world, you will have trouble. One of my professors in seminary said this. He says, Jesus promises God's care, not a carefree life. Pursuing a carefree life when we're not promised one, but instead we're promised God's care, can be a strong indication that we are rebelling against the lordship of Jesus. Instead of living to serve him, we want him to serve us. And that is the heartbeat of idolatry. Having a God that exists to serve you in exchange for the meat that you shovel into the furnace of his belly. And this is the demand that worry and despair make. God, serve me as I want to be served. The third reason despair fails us is it is dishonest. We live in a culture that tells us if we feel something, it must be true. But when Jesus 
tells us not to worry. He's telling us to refuse to nurture an emotion. I think I was probably 19 or 20 years old in college when it first occurred to me that just because I feel something doesn't mean I need to nurture that feeling. And just because I feel something, it doesn't mean that what I'm feeling is an accurate assessment of the situation. I feel like I'm in third grade when it comes to progress I've made on that, since I'm just being transparent up here anyway today. But I, it really is something that Jesus says, you don't, you don't need to nurture every feeling that you feel. In fact, some of these feelings you shouldn't nurture. We're accountable before God for how we nurture and yield to our emotions. Why is this? Why does this matter? Why is it important? Well, it's important because not all emotions tell us the truth. Um, despair is a good example of this. Patrick Curry, who is a J.R.R. Tolkien scholar, uh, said this about despair. He said, despair is for people who know beyond any doubt what the future is going to bring. And nobody is in that position. He says, so despair is not only a kind of sin theologically, but it's also a simple mistake because nobody actually knows. And in that sense, there always is hope. Worry and despair insist that certain things are true, that you have no honest way of knowing. And so we feel looming disaster is certainly coming, and we just don't know. And in that sense, it's dishonest. So what do we do instead? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a connection between God's call to worry, or not to worry, and his promise that he is king over our lives. And so what we do is we embrace that connection. The reason I shouldn't worry is because Jesus is king over my life. Seek first his kingdom and everything else will follow, he says. See, the basis for the angel's care for Elijah when he's in that pit of despair and Jesus teaching that believers are not citizens And Jesus' teaching is that believers are not citizens of this world primarily. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And to Jesus, this is not a metaphor. It's not a metaphor. Our citizenship isn't in this world. It really is with God in Christ. In fact, our citizenship in the kingdom of God carries greater validity than any passport you've ever held. It guarantees more rights than you've ever had, and it delivers more security than this world could ever hope to offer you. And so do you know what that means? If you're a citizen of his kingdom, it means you have, right now, a provider. And you have only ever had one provider. Here's the thing about your provider. He is the maker and the sustainer of the universe. That's your provider. And he's not only the only provider you've ever had. 
He is the only provider you ever will have and the only provider you will ever need by a lot. And so your spouse or your work or your inheritance or your lottery ticket or your children's success or the economy or your own ambition and industry, these have never been your provider. God alone takes care of you. He does it through means. I doubt any of us have been fed by ravens. But he alone takes care of us. You may be saying, yeah, but when's he going to (laughs) start? If you're laughing because that is what you're asking, get ready because I'm going to say something hard to you. Has he not? Has he not given you what you need? What has he given us? By his grace, he's given us his word to guide us and to correct us and encourage us. Along with that, he has given us his son, Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for our sin, offering himself up on the cross, laying down his life. And not only that, he has given us his Holy Spirit to live in those who believe, empowering us to live as his followers by his grace and for his glory. That's what he's given us. He's given us his word, his son, and his spirit already. Where do you seek personal security? Jesus tells us not to worry, then he tells us why. He says, you're just so much more precious to God than the birds and the flowers. Are you desperate for help? Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness through the means he has given, scripture, prayer, the body of Christ, and everything else that you need, food and shelter and clothing, will come. He gives the birds what they need and he loves you more. He adorns the flowers, but you're more beautiful to him than they are. And so the world is in our ear saying worry, despair. And when the world cries despair, don't. Why? Because all you have needed, his hand hath provided. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the promises that you give us in your word that you take care of us. And Lord, I also thank you for the ways in your word that you call us to not nurture every feeling that comes along because in that you are leading us in a way of truth but you are also acknowledging that you have given us a measure of fortitude by your grace to not just be tossed around all the time but that you have made us people who have a capacity, and we need your help, but you have given us a capacity to not just be blown around by the wind. And so, Lord, help us to believe that and help us to trust you and lay before you all of the ways that we feel despair and anxiety. And, Lord, we thank you for the gifts of grace that you have given us, your word, your spirit, your son, your church, for many in this room, including myself, the common grace of things like medicine uh, that addresses brain chemistry that's affected by living in a broken and fallen world. Lord, we're grateful for the ways that you provide for us. 
Lord, help us to, to borrow a word from our culture now, to normalize trusting you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.